This is the PowerShell Podcast, a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. The PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Ultra Superstar Jordan. Along yes, with you are. The bedrock of PowerShell, Andrew Plaw. And I like that one. That one feels like it's kind of lame, but it's, uh, I'm going to run with it. It's like a Minecraft reference, is it? Or because <laughs> last well, time video my, issues. Yeah. Minecraft has taken over the term, but Bedrock is a uh, consistently mm. used as just a stable base. Mm. Stable. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. how you describe me. Stable. I, I'm Thank swipping, you. I'm swatching rolls. I'm, I'm the one that's now frantic with energy, and uh, here we are. Well, I'll take it, man. Stable for you. <laughs> How's your week been? What's been going on in the world of Jordan, man? Uh, I, for the first time in my life, watched a video I did and didn't hate it. I feel nice. like that's, I feel like that's a huge sign of growth because I've been doing videos for seven years and I've hated everything I've ever done. So. That's awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah. And, and unfortunately it's like a older video that's not relevant. It was talk about using credentials in PowerShell before secrets management mm. came out, but it, I did some things like uh, uh, laps with PowerShell I think that, and I, I liked it. Anyways, probably won't happen again, but I'm going to enjoy the one that I got. Count those blessings. I don't know how I feel about all the stuff I've done. Some of it, I, I don't know if I feel bad about it, but you know, I just accept that it ain't probably perfect, but it's my best at the moment. And you know what? If we got some errors or whatever, hit me up with the arata via email and we can get some corrections out there. But man, good on you for being courageous and still doing things in the face of adversity and putting out some great content, man. No, they pay me. Well, that that definitely helps. But you know what? We had a great shout out last week on the podcast for our friend PowerShell Young Team and his awesome blog. And I think we got to give another shout out to an awesome tweet that I saw. And I don't know how to pronounce this person's name, but I know they listen to the podcast. We see him on Twitter a lot. MDGRS03 on Twitter had a very cool tweet where they learned that the Windows terminal can show a progress indicator on the tab and the taskbar icon with escape sequences. So he made an automatic spinner for any command by hooking PS console host read line and prompt functions. So that's pretty cool. And because there's a gist for it, you don't have to write it all yourself and you can maybe tweak it a little bit, customize it to your liking. But um, shout out to you, MDGRS03. Enough of our crap. Let's let's get to the reason everyone's here. Be, hold on, there's one oh, more thing. There's man. one more. Oh, I'm jumping the We're, gun. I, I people apologize. are following along to this Mac journey that I'm on. Oh, you know, okay. PowerShell legend Jim Truer. He uses a Mac as well. Ashton McGlone. Go TPFE. Hit me up and said, I'm using Mac on PowerShell as well. And guess where I'm going this week? Your boy's going to Canada to go to a Mac conference to be amongst my people now. So I'm very, very excited. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be a power user of the Mac and PowerShell combination. Do you become their people right away or do you have to pass some tests to prove that you are officially a Mac person? Oh, I will have to pass the judgment of, of the other Mac users and I think I can pass it. I, I'm just a couple more hockey modifiers and I think I'll be there. I think I'll be there. I'm heading in the right direction. But yeah, Jordan, I think it's time. Uh, we have an amazing guest today, and I'm very curious to pick their brain and get some insights into their perspective on things. Jordan, who do we have here today? It is Michael Soule. 
Welcome. Whoa, pops in. Amazing. I think, uh, let's see, we, we met, I guess, unofficially at Summit this year. At least I sat at the same table a couple of times, but uh, I'm, not, so I'm, not, I'm not a social guy. So mostly I sit at the table to eat. <laughs> but uh, during the, the summit, you said you gave a talk. It's kind of a similar thing you've been going on. I guess what, what has been your PowerShell Passion Project recently? Yeah, recently Passion Project's been around what the .NET Interactive team at Microsoft's been doing. Uh, to enable read, eval, print, loop, REPL type programming experiences through Jupyter notebooks, which let you have code cells and markdown cells. And so you can do code in line with your documentation, make life a little bit easier and a little bit more reusable. And where does this run? Does this run in VS Code or how are people typically reading these? Yeah, so VS Code definitely, uh, but Jupyter does have its own web engine so you can run jupyter notebooks straight in the browser uh, you can read jupyter notebooks straight on github they have native support for the notebook files but vs code from an authoring perspective is at least what i use nice so you get the kind of web experience that you get with some other things in github does it use the code spaces uh you can you can't do code spaces i don't think i i I take that back. I haven't personally tried with code spaces, but uh, you can run the notebook and then have a token, so a one-time token or a time token for authenticating from VS Code. So you could use code spaces theoretically through the token because in the background, it's just sending messages back and forth. And what's the appropriate terminology? Is it Jupyter Notebooks? Is it .NET Runbooks? Or how should we be referring to this? Yeah, so the .NET Interactive team fully supports the native Jupyter Notebook format, but they also built their own format as well. So there's two. Um, if you're referring to the more generic one, Jupyter Notebooks, that's the common term. Jupyter Labs was a little bit inter uh, interchangeable because that used to be the web front end that people would use. Jupyter Lab instances have since upgraded to Jupyter Notebook instances. And how do you see people taking advantage of this? Like what need is this filling? Yeah, so great question. One of the first use cases we started using it for was Office 365 tenant to tenant migrations. So company goes through an acquisition, acquired company was already in Exchange Online, SharePoint Online. To get all that data merged, it was pretty challenging process. There's a lot of steps. You can get into synchronizing. If they're both hybrid, you've got MSDS consistency goods. You'll have to have hard match objects in the background. It can get ugly. And so what we did is we started putting together in our normal project framework, major milestones and different steps, and then just kept iterating until it's not automated, but it's a benchmark for any of our engineers now, even if they've never done one before, to just step in and start trying. Hmm. So it sounds like through the M&A, the merge and acquisition process, there are some super handy commands or like series of commands that are connected that you use to check on the status of all that. And as part of your process, because you work for an MSP and I want to get into that later, it seems like this is kind of a repetitive thing. You have a notebook that people can kind of step into a project, run these commands and get kind of a baseline of understanding as to what's exactly going on here. Is Spot that fair? on. 
Yep. So yeah, we've got engineers who are familiar with Exchange Online, SharePoint Online, but have never merged a tenant. And so it gives them that starting point. Nice. That sounds a lot better than the old days of like, you have to have VS Code open, then you have your documentation open, and then you have to like copy and paste and there can be differences. I feel like the interactive aspect of like, you know, you can edit it and create it in VS, author it in VS Code lends itself to having more up-to-date documentation, hopefully. Yeah. And you bring up a good point too. We've started looking at more use cases. So network operations or security operations and even our incident response type use cases. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I kind of wish I could go back to my old job where I was responsible for like implementing a lot of the processes and having this be part of it. Because mm -hmm. when you give the context of just plain English next to it, you can really help, I feel like, speed someone up who maybe, like you're saying, isn't an expert in Exchange, right? But they can understand a couple command names, fortunately, because PowerShell's a little verbose. And then you add a little extra context, you click a little button, it runs it. I mean, sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and it one of the cool features too the .NET Interactive team has built is you can call any of the kernels now. So you can actually just tap into Python, you can tap into Mermaid, you can type into Kusto, SQL. Mm -hmm. So literally you can have one starting point for any language flip between Python and PowerShell in the exact same document. And I think you've given a couple talks and I think you're presenting... Now, at the time this goes live, it'll be in the past, but I think you're presenting at the New York PowerShell user group? Yep. Yeah, so it was just at Chicago at the AWS Community Day, uh, was at PowerShell Summit, got to talk with you guys there, and then, yeah, we'll be helping out at the New York user group too. Nice. Now, I kind of want to tap into your background in MSP. Like, what was your experience... Um, in IT so far, and how did you get to where you are, and what do you do now? Yeah, so starting with now, so national director, I focus on a public cloud practice. So AWS, Azure, Microsoft 365, and all the different services and products that sort of fit into that ecosystem. Uh, obviously, that's hundreds of products, so not an expert in every single one, but got a background in a lot of different areas, and that helps. And so a lot of what I focus on is customer interactions, but I'll even still do deployments. So I'll still get involved with direct delivery. But the majority of my time is customer facing, helping build solutions and helping them understand how they can adopt new technology. Ben. So that seems like a, just an intricate career because every customer is different. So it's not going to become repetitive. It's always going to be a different solution that you're helping build out. So it seems like that's something that's always going to keep you pretty engaged. 100%. Yeah. It's honestly going to how I got here. It's the exact reason I moved to the MSP life. Uh, I, I wanted that sort of rapid, unique scenario experience. Um, didn't want to become stagnated. And that is exactly what I got is a new customer environment on every call and you're jumping to be agile. <laughs> wow. And before that, before getting into the MSP world, you're probably working more consistent places where, you know, you're not jumping around quite as much, maybe specializing in some stuff. Yeah, spot on. So prior to that, I was with a healthcare system in Northern California. It was pretty rural, but we were a few hundred users, employees. It, uh, there I was integration architect, but I was help desk, end user support, 
server admin, network admin, a little bit of everything. And then uh, prior to that, I was in higher ed and uh, K through 12, both. So. Nice. How long have you been in IT? Sounds like quite a while. Yeah. Uh, if you go all the way back, um, my first contracting job was helping my mom's travel agency in the 90s get set up. So In the 90s? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> With ticket printers and stuff. Wow. Uh, honestly, it was probably early 2000s. But... Nice. nice. <laughs> and that, that that's before, like, technically was a 1099 or anything. So <laughs> Right, right. So kind of under the table. Hey, mom, yeah. I can help you out. Cool. Yeah. So that's interesting. Because it sounds like, obviously, you're talking about current um, tech stuff, right? You're up to date with things in a certain degree, but you're also working on those people skills at the same time. And it seems like those are probably pretty important when dealing with customers and in like a national director type position. How do you balance those? And, and what do you make of that kind of unique situation where you have to be sharp technically a little bit, but also able to communicate with people who may not be as technical? It, it's challenging. Um, I, I, especially in hindsight, everything looks a little easier, but I remember early college days having that realization of at my core, I'm an introvert, but ultimately I need to be able to communicate with people. So it's something where I consciously just clicked on it and I'm like, I have to invest time in improving the skill. And fortunately, I was able to improve enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's cool to hear that that is, uh, it definitely takes attention to get better at, because I feel like a lot of us can resonate with that. Definitely at the core an introvert, but I think we've all ran into issues that stem from not having those communication skills up to date. Yeah, uh, especially like, it, it's awesome to go to like PS Summit because it's a super friendly and safe environment, mm -hmm. but it 100%, you get to the end of those long days and you're just like, am I exhausted because I've been up for 14 hours or am I exhausted because I've been talking to people for 14 hours? <sighs> uh, like after that. Summit for the next two weeks, I'm just physically exhausted. Just the... And, and that's a, everyone there is there because they love the same thing. And it's such a friendly place and it still is exhausting. It's, I don't, I don't know. I, I have credit for those that get like a recharge out of that kind of behavior because I can't even process the thought. Some kind of recharge. A lot of times I feel like the recharge is just like, I'm charged up to do more PowerShell and maybe not talk to people as much, but I'm inspired to do more. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, every, Everything in life takes a little bit of energy, right? For some, the people stuff takes more energy than the tech stuff. And knowing how to balance those two is a skill. Now, are you, like, I would imagine national director, you're like meetings all the time. Is that kind of what your schedule's looking like? Yeah, today, seven to five, um, uh, including this. So this is more fun than a meeting, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I've had one cancellation today, so I got wow. 30 minutes back already. So That's a win. I'm just <laughs> yep. thinking about what you said earlier about going to an MSP because you like kind of different, getting different looks. Because my impression of other types of jobs is oftentimes they accept 
what isn't best practice because it doesn't really maybe fit their use case or the investment isn't worth it, whatever. But when you go to jumping around between environments, I imagine, and I've never done it, that you get a much better understanding of the importance of best practices and why vendors recommend certain things and why it's important to do that kind of stuff. Because you can't be there for ever to handhold it, right? You're kind of in and out type situation. And generally, you're hopefully going to be the one who's revisiting that in five years. But I can tell you there is so many times I've looked back on stuff I've done four or five years ago, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, it, it's just part of growth, right? So there, that's why knowledge management and being able to share what we've learned and the lessons we've learned is so valuable because, yeah, we touch so many environments. Hopefully, we're frequent enough that we can keep them always to that next best practice because that's continually evolving. But yeah, mistakes happen. Knowledge, you learn lessons, hopefully not always the hard way. But <laughs> I was reading your bios and it says you're a multi-cloud guy. You like AWS, Azure, right? I guess you got a lot of different customers. You probably have hands in a lot of different buckets. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, everything from I think our smallest customer that I've actively worked with is like five users in a system all the way up to our largest that I've worked on. Uh, They have around 120,000 active users. So, or yeah, no, 1.2 million active users. Sorry, missed a zero there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I was like, that doesn't sound right in my head. That's a whole additional comma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, that that's a education use case and higher ed and they go through identities very fast. Yeah. It's I've I've spoken to a few people that do education for full time and it just seems like such a unique environment because the budget's just different because the environment's different and everyone's coming in and out. It's I, I imagine spending time in higher, which you said you did early on too, is a different experience than just going into like just a, a system admin for a corporation, I guess. Yeah, it is interesting because also your hardware to user ratio is so different. If you think about labs and you think about seasonal employees, like there were times when we'd have maybe one employee for every 10 machines we were supporting like over summer break and stuff so like it there's some crazy unique aspects to the education uh vertical that is always interesting now how long have you been in this role i've been this is going on seven seven years so seven years uh with an MSP, uh, I've had three distinct really roles. So prior to this, I was heavier on consulting. So direct deliverables and billable hours. And then prior to that, I was in an implementation role and I was doing data center implementations, Microsoft and security implementations. Nice. And then at some point you moved to more of a leader type role, but it sounds like you're still pretty hands-on. I try to stay hands-on. So our group especially is very much incubation of new ideas. 
And so a lot of times we don't want to have to pull in external resources and other teams until we've at least proved out something will work. So a lot of what I'll do is just, hey, this is a unique idea. I think it could be valuable. And then can we apply it to more use cases? Nice. And where did PowerShell meet you in this journey? I imagine you were using it kind of before the leadership role. Um, is that true? Yeah. So PowerShell, I'd say I really started to focus around like V2. So like not early, early days, but still pretty early. Um, And then I'd say I started to probably use it for the majority of my job. And this was all at the healthcare system, that time frame. I started to use it very heavily in that role around when the WMF5 stuff started happening. So Windows Management Framework 5.1 and 5.0, that's when we started to be able to use it very regularly in our day-to-days. I guess you've taken the lessons that you've learned along the way into where you are now. Mm -hmm. Um, If you had to think of one way that PowerShell has impacted the way you approach things now and maybe something useful that you learned along the way from PowerShell that you take with you. Um, Yeah. So this is what I always tell people when they are like, why PowerShell? And it's the thing that stuck with me most. It's thinking in objects, right? So being able to not have to do string manipulation, pipeline manipulation, at least in a string fashion, being able to pass full context about objects, um, whether they're strongly typed or loosely typed, like that is very valuable. And that probably was where it finally clicked for me of like, this is something I want to use and this is something I can repurpose into just how I do other things. Nice. Yeah, PowerShell's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's a bold take, Andrew. <laughs> It's yeah. the right audience, though. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's always interesting to objects. I used PowerShell for three years before I even understood that it dealt with objects or what that meant. I was just dabbling. But once you learn that part of it and what that means, it opens up all of the doors. Mm-hmm. I like the way that it helped me approach problems in a way that you solve them more like for good, not for once. And I try, I take that with me everywhere, <laughs> sometimes to a detriment when I let it uh, affect non-technical areas. But I really enjoy that, like, hey, you can actually solve this problem in an appropriate way, oftentimes even requires documentation, you know, kind of some stuff that I learned from the community and stuff and really changed the way that I approach things. So shout out to Jupyter Notebooks. It, that, that's a funny perspective, too. Like it, it's entirely valid how you can fix things the right way. And I'll say one of the bad habits I've picked up from Jupiter or from PowerShell, I should say, is I, I, I'm a huge one-liner fan. <laughs> so like I'll get four or 500 characters into a one-liner and be lost even myself. And I'm like, well, it worked. So, <laughs> and then it's like you try to dissect it and make it actually into a script. And it, it is approachable in the way that you can just keep building, but I, I catch myself sometimes where I'm like, I need to space this out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's one too many for each objects. <laughs> we need to do something yeah. else here. Pipe question mark, pipe percent, pipe percent, mm-hmm. pipe question mark. Where are we? 
but it's so much fun. Like once you get the skills to be able to comfortably tie together commands, it just feels nice. It feels like to me doing Sudoku puzzles, but a little bit more rewarding as you go and up arrow, get back your previous command, make the little fix, keep it going. Yeah. It people will reach out to me occasionally just like, Hey, PowerShell question. How would I do this? And (laughs) one was recent and they had like nested for each loops and all this nonsense. And it's like, well, all we're trying to do is convert these. Uh, they had like mixed ASCII characters and then mixed byte values in the same string. And they're like, we're trying to normalize it all. And I'm like, okay, well, we can probably regex that, pull out the bytes, convert them, and then we're on off to the races. And like it ended up, they had like 40 lines of code and it just came back as like 100 characters as one line. <laughs> now, MSP, PowerShell probably fits in pretty well, especially with the whole cloud thing. Um, I imagine there's different people who choose different things, but how has your experience been spreading PowerShell? Like, have you had struggles with it? Has it, you've had some successes? How's that been? Uh, I always preface my preference of PowerShell as it's my preference. It's what I'm comfortable with. It's what I've had the most time building with. And so I'm sure there's others out there that prefer a different language. No problem. Like I understand having a comfort and that's what you're going to be familiar with. And so that that's another reason I like Jupyter Notebooks is you can do multi-language in the same notebook. And so uh, it, it's helpful because I also use Python. I've used R, I've used PHP, I do JavaScript, like sort of that upbringing of web dev into sysadmin was my path. Nice. So I've mentioned PowerShell as the solution so often that the other day I said, I don't think PowerShell is a good fit for this one. And the reaction I got for the not for saying PowerShell is not the fit stunned me. I didn't realize how often I was hammering home PowerShell until that moment, but apparently I'm a, I'm one note, but it's a great note. I think it's good to have an open mind though, because you're going to experience people who like you're saying are super comfortable and just are not interested. They're just not the bandwidth mentally. They're busy solving problems. They don't want to learn a new tool and a new particular way of doing things. And that's fine, right? There's, there's not many use cases where you have to, um, especially if you, if your role doesn't really like have it required from the get go, like maintaining PowerShell scripts isn't part of it then it's completely fine. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Like I was pre- presenting at that AWS event and I'm in a room full of people who live in Python every day, more than likely. And it's like PowerShell is just what I'm comfortable with. This is a playbook that even if you don't have any PowerShell experience, you can step through, read the description and press play, get context back. And you're like, Hey, I know what this is from AWS. Oh, I get where, what we're doing here. Now, do you know if there are any Jupyter Notebooks for like PowerShell 101 stuff? Because I could see that being pretty cool, like having a way to just click a button and run it. Because I, I know that for some beginners, taking that first step can feel so overwhelming, even if it's just copy and pasting commands that you read from a blog. Like a lot of people really struggle with that step. Do you know of any? And if not, whoever's listening, come on, people. Write yeah. something. Doug Fink actually has a good playbook of about I want to say it's 10 notebooks. It may be a little bit more now, but it's like 10 core notebooks. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. There is something to be said for having a learn at your own pace in front of you over attending 
because we got we got a note from Andrew's uh, lunch and learn on profiles how they were filling out the weeds and so they started diving into what he was talking about once they got a grasp of that he was so far ahead it makes it difficult to keep up so, so having alternate methods of learning i think is extremely valuable yep and uh understanding how you learn look at that awesome there will be a link in show notes courtesy of doug fink and mike school for bringing it to us awesome tiny powershell projects i think he plugged this for us but i didn't realize it was jupiter notebooks he's been on that for a while yeah, yeah. we didn't uh we didn't dive in. He was giving us gold. We didn't dive in right away. It's, okay. it, it's a full life cycle. Everything's always improving. Agreed. Now, on the topic of PowerShell and MSP life, do you can you think of any examples or success stories from your MSP life where PowerShell has played a crucial role in addressing, I don't know, client needs or solving complex problems? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that. To Jordan's point, uh, probably too often. <laughs> Everything's a nail when you got a hammer, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, an example is uh, a customer we were rolling out of new PKI for. They were doing uh, certificates for certificate-based authentication for their endpoints. So all of a sudden, they've got a few thousand certificates all on their endpoints. And they're like, great. Um, we just realized now that it's all deployed that uh, that template we don't want to use anymore. <laughs> is I, I know we can uh, we can revoke those certs, but is there any way we can go to every endpoint and delete them? And I'm like, well, yeah, with PowerShell. So we wrote a quick PowerShell get child item on the cert store for where the OID, the object identifier for the cert template name, met that criteria remove the item and deploy it out through GPO. And GPO is not configuration management. There's no way to validate that it got deleted, but pretty sure that in a healthy environment with machines checking in, it's gonna clean up the majority. Nice. So. Very cool. So you mentioned transitioning to an MSP life and it being a conscious decision because you know that the pace is a little bit faster, right? So for some, that would be a downside. But what advice would you have for yourself in the past or for other people who are considering a transition to the MSP world? Know what you're looking for. I, I had the conscious decision of in an environment where healthcare at the time was going through major electronic medical record projects. And so we as a team all knew what the next few years at that organization project-wise was going to look like. And it was going to be the majority of your time is on this one project and making sure it's successful. That sounded boring to me. <laughs> and I was just at the point in my life where I'm like, I want something where I'm going to learn faster. And uh, ended up going to the MSP thinking I knew a fair bit and realizing I knew nothing and uh, was very fortunate to have a team lead at the time who it got into a cadence where there was always the jokes of like, what questions did Mike come in this morning with? Because like at the time I was like, hey, like how's fiber channel work? What about iSCSI? How does that correlate to a SCSI command? What's a LUN? Like getting into all of these data center concepts really deep because have to know when you're sort of that last resort or the 
phone call somebody's making to say, fix this. So nice. So being comfortable asking questions also yeah. sounds like it's pretty important. 100%. Otherwise, you're spinning your wheels for a little bit extra time. Yeah. Find people who have the knowledge and ask them about it. <laughs> so, nice. That sounds like a, you got in a great company, though, because if you're the type of place where you have a bunch of questions and it becomes a chore for them, then it's, it turns sour for everyone. But the fact that they appreciate all the questions is, I think it's a good sign that you found the right place. Yeah. And great point. Yeah. That's a double-edged sword, right? If you're, if you're jumping in the deep end and you don't have a lifeline, you could be in a tough situation. So yeah, it, it's hard. So what's the team camaraderie? Like I imagine it's kind of feel like a team, like you're going into these new environments regularly. Like, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link at points. Like what, what's it feel like to be on a team like that? It's always interesting because we've grown so much. So when I joined, we were about 400 employees. Now we're about 800. So it's sizable. And then the last few years, we've been learning what majority working from home looks like and uh, not being able to go sit at a workbench with four other people and be like, hey, have you seen this before? Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot has changed. I would say one of the things we have a dedicated community manager for our internal camaraderie, which is an interesting role altogether. But uh, one of the things she coordinates is these uh, learn days. And so our leadership supports engineers as well as just anyone in the organization to share work-related concepts, unrelated work concepts. And like today, there was one where we've started rolling out bookings as an external feature for our customers to start using with our employees. And so there was just a learn day today on here's how you turn on bookings, how you use it, what you could use it for, that type of stuff. So it helps just build community around common sort of things. Nice. And you work from home, I imagine? That's true. Majority, yeah. So we, I have an office. Uh, it's probably about thirty minutes. So I go into the office. I try to get in once a week. That's challenging. But uh, like last week, I was in Chicago. We, our headquarters is in Downers Grove, so west suburbs. And so, like, spent the day in the office. Was downtown in the Loop on Wednesday, and then or Thursday, and then Friday, I flew home and worked from home. So majority from home, though. Nice. Yeah, that's been, I think a lot of people have experienced some struggles with maintaining culture and collaboration with that transition. Mm. And it definitely takes a dedicated effort. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I had two new hires since the start of the pandemic. And it's definitely, you have to encourage and facilitate and make those opportunities consciously because they don't just happen because you're in the same room as somebody anymore. Right. How do you keep up with the latest in tech, the trends, the tools, the best practices, the current naming scheme that uh, Microsoft is using for their different products? How do you keep up with all that? Um, By trying not to go insane. (laughs) (laughs) picking the battles uh it it helps so we're we're a partner so before the entra stuff as an example all of their identity stuff is now under entra uh back in august there was a partner event 
up in Seattle. So we were fortunate enough to be one of their partners who attended and helped them give the product teams feedback. So a lot of it, there are programs. If you're a sizable customer or a sizable partner where you can get a little ahead of it. So like there are things just Friday, I was having a conversation with some of our teams of like, Hey, here's what's coming down the pipe. It's going to probably be announced this month. We'll probably see customers asking for it next quarter. Um, what do you want to know? What do you want to be ready for? So a lot of it's getting a level of familiarity where we can just gauge how much more time do we need to invest and how ready do we need to be. Right. Because you're kind of sort of selling their services for them, sort of. So it's important to make sure that big customers like you are aware of what the heck's going on and you can speak to it to a certain degree when customers have questions. Yep. I'd, I'd probably also add that we ensure that customers get the value out of the products they buy too. Because a lot of people buy M365 E5 and they're like, this is expensive. <laughs> and you just bought 200 or so products that you could implement or at least features that you could implement. Speaking of that, when you hear E5, is there a place where your brain goes like, oh, the, commonly environments are not taking advantage of this, this, and this? Is, does your brain hit anything with the E5 license? Yeah, so generally a customer going into M365, so specifically Microsoft 365, that includes Office, Enterprise Mobility, Security, and Windows. I'd say the lowest hanging fruit that I always touch on is Azure AD password protection. Effectively, is if you haven't already implemented it, is if your domain can support distributed file systems, DFS, and you are on a supported version, of Windows Server for your domain controllers, you install an agent and the same password write filter that you have used in Azure AD, so preventing weak passwords from even being used like summer 2023, that same filter gets applied when someone changes a password on-prem. So super low-hanging fruit, easy, not even an E5 thing. It's part of any Azure AD license. So if you have Azure AD paid, you have the password right filter. Sorry, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> that's a great one. No, I'm putting that in the show notes. I have a Learn Microsoft uh, link for that that we'll have in the show notes because I imagine some people are listening. They have the ability to implement this and it doesn't sound like the investment is huge and you can get a pretty decent return and put that on your little uh, performance report to your boss. Say, hey, I really improved the security posture and blah, blah, blah. No. Nope. Would this help out with those that are, say, prone to typing their password into webcast chats live? <laughs> no, I'm not naming names. It's definitely not me. <laughs> I will say that Microsoft actively curates that list. And so if it's ever been in a known password breach, it 100% will be blocked, which is helpful. And I have a feeling that a lot of our previous passwords, if you've been using the same password for several years, has probably been included in some breaches. So good luck. That's very cool, though. Um, and I, if you don't have another, you don't have another. But if I were to push you for another one that kind of comes to mind, underutilized, maybe security related, maybe not in the 365 world that people are not maybe using as much as they should. 
There's a ton. I, I would probably say conditional access would be my second favorite conversation. So if you currently don't do any sort of identity provider integrations for SAML authentication to like SaaS applications, uh, or if you have an ADFS, Active Directory Federation Services, if you haven't migrated to Azure AD for those web auth authentications, uh, conditional access, and then also just using conditional access in general, uh, that's a huge component to Microsoft's sort of security foundation. And they're continually adding new features, super valuable. Um, the biggest thing to keep in mind is those are going to be secondary checks. So your username and password is generally still the primary token. There are ways to get different first factor authentication methods, but conditional access will happen after those. But location blocks, um, risky sign-ins, being able to do it based on applications and specific device health. Like there's a lot of integrations, especially uh, as you get into that device management realm, as y'all are well familiar with. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Have you had a chance to play around with Microsoft Sentinel at all? Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? It seems like it's gotten better. It has. So it, it's a great platform. Um, usually what I guide customers through is start with the M365 Defender portal. That's their XDR platform. And then from that, if you want more context, if you want to do more correlation, if you want to do more intricate incident management, that's when you want to start looking at Microsoft Sentinel. If you just have a log retention requirement, it can be valuable. So that's the other sort of like edge case, like, oh, we don't want any of the advanced features, but we want to be able to do log retention beyond the 90 days, I think it is. That's when it comes up to. What I find interesting about Sentinel is the kind of pre-built rules and things like that, that smaller environments are able to easily implement. Mm -hmm. And I imagine as time goes on, it'll maybe keep getting better and better. And then kind of the baseline security that we see it many organizations is just a little bit better. And I know there's other products that do similar things, but just from my experience with it, that kind of seemed to be what I was seeing was like, there's some pretty easy templates that you can implement and tweak. Um, but I, I have a feeling a lot of environments aren't tweaking that are implementing them. Yeah. A good example of that that's coming up more regularly now is NTLM deprecation. So legacy authentication protocols and NTLM, John Schechtman, Microsoft Blue Badge. He built Microsoft Sentinel uh, workbooks specifically to aggregate and monitor for NTLM use. So it's a great use case. If you're trying to get rid of some legacy NTLM use cases, you can definitely use those notebooks to quickly inventory and monitor for where it's in use. So you're not a fan of NTLM? Could say, there's some sort of URL they can go to where they can see uh, Steve's Twitter thread about NTLM. Yeah, NTLMsucks.com. I think Steve would be on the same page with that too. <laughs> and is this your domain? It is. Yeah. Oh, gotta respect it. Love it. Link yeah. in show notes. But I actually went there because while doing research, and the link he actually breaks down. I mean, it's not just uh, he doesn't 
have his his concerns randomly like he goes into depth on all the reasons it's a it's a good read on on a good thread to follow yeah the intent was uh give a step-by-step guide of how you can get rid of ntlm um i i will say we got to step one and uh <laughs> left it there but uh at, at a minimum it is a great reference point and a memorable url if you have ntlm worries <laughs> nice yeah and it looks like there's a link to the azure sentinel insecure protocols workbook implementation guide Woo! a lot of fancy words in one sentence <laughs> but there's a nice link there and that's ntlmsucks.com phenomenal plug <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> we, we, we do a deep dive into all the most important uh, goings on. And while we're at it, you can use KQL, which is Kusto for Sentinel in notebooks. So uh, Microsoft Sentinel has implemented notebooks for a while now, like four or five years or something. Nice. Yeah. KQL is so much fun. When I was using Azure Sentinel, I felt like I had the whole world at my hands running Kusto queries against uh, our Sentinel stuff. Felt, I mean, I imagine without a lot of those security tools where you can like go through your logs and see what's going on, I just, how do you f- have confidence in your environment and security of things if you can't ever check anything without a SEM solution or anything like that? Yeah, and so it's it's an interesting concept too because we've started to use SIMS even more for state management. So we get into like an Active Directory environment. Like there's a lot in the logs, but how do I enumerate inheritance on privileged container objects in my schema? Well, I have to query it. So we've started to look into more and more ways to do continuous state monitoring. And then you can aggregate those as just log events at that point. And so if your entire incident workflow is off of your SIM, you still can ingest even state information just on a scheduled cron type check and trigger incidents of state changes. If you don't have fancy third-party tooling that does uh, vulnerability management and other things of that nature, Nice. Now you're a multi-cloud guy, right? You like you, you play in all the different clouds. Not all of them. Uh, Azure and AWS are the two I am regularly in. <laughs> all right. Azure is on the right. AWS is on the left. They're sitting down for an arm wrestle. Who wins? So the way that I like to guide on this is. Azure is very prescriptive. If I want to do something and I want to do it the way Microsoft thinks it should be done, and I want to do it quickly, I'm probably going to default to Azure. That being said, if I need to own it, I need to have full control and be able to integrate it however I want, that's when I start to lean towards AWS. It's probably going to take me a little longer to build, but I'm going to be much more familiar with that infrastructure, and I'm going to have much more granular control over that architecture. That's almost like a similar thing you hear uh, Windows versus Linux, basically. Linux will let you do whatever you want, whether it's right or not. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's 
spot on. And that that's the other sort of joke too, right? Is like Linux admins flock towards AWS, Windows admins flock towards Azure. 100%, there's uh, some history there. <laughs> hmm. From a PowerShell perspective, which one's better? <laughs> uh, neither of them is great. <laughs> I, I, I would... Oh, go ahead, Jordan. No, no, not even with Graph? MS Graph is... Uh... <laughs> it, 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 I, I will say, so it, it's sort of funny that uh, you guys had mentioned like your favorite PowerShell modules, and I, I was going to controversially definitely say Graph is one of them. Um, not because it's great, but because it's better than me having to use Exchange Online, SharePoint, Teams, MSOL, Azure AD, AZ. <laughs> So that that's the issue with basically all those cloud modules is they're so broad. There's so much content and just figuring out where to start is often hard enough, let alone how to use it. You, you uh, it sounds like we're, if we go into our common parameters, you already got a head start. Dang. These are supposed yeah. to be the hardest hitting questions on planet earth. Give him a That's head right. start. No, we're 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 still going to keep that question third. Maybe he'll forget that answer by the time mm. we get there. Yeah, we got to blow Are his you? mind. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. Are you ready for the first common parameter? Let's go. <laughs> what is one time something went wrong on the job? How did you handle it, and what did you learn? I really like this question. Uh, I, I have a lot of stories on this topic. I have. Uh, I would probably say the the one that was the biggest learning opportunity for me was when I started at the hospital. I was into security, like a lot of people are. I thought I knew about security. And I was like, oh, I wonder what a Smurf packet does. We just got this new network security appliance. Let's see what happens. And next thing you know, um, we're on a complete network shutdown and rebooting the core network because Smurf packets happen to consume all available bandwidth on a network unless there's QoS. And so like phones were still working great, but <laughs> <laughs> nothing else was working. So that that was an opportunity for me to go whoopsies. <laughs> it's just like the when when you do the uh, or the the aftermath where everybody that will happen. You're just like, well, I was, I was curious. It honestly that was part of the after action of like, well, you guys haven't fired me yet, so uh, yeah, I I was curious. I learned a lot. I'm happy to tell other people what not to do in the future. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I remember my last job, they bought a Wi-Fi pineapple thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we didn't have any issues like that, but I definitely had my concerns that, that they'd go rogue and do something bad. But yeah, I was thinking about this one. This would be why I'd be terrible at an MSP because I'd do something wrong. It's like, eh, not my environment. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> Uh, sadly, we're if we're not the first call, we're usually the second call. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, 
our incident response team is usually the last call. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't get to that call, but uh, yeah, they, they have even more horror stories of environments that aren't theirs that they uh, have to try and save. Sounds like a bad time. Unique problems. Hey, can I squeeze <laughs> a question in here? Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned mergers and acquisitions earlier, and I know we had the AWS versus Azure debate, and I heard that Azure is a little bit better for the whole mergers and acquisitions, but that's when compared to Google Cloud Platform and Gmail. Um, do you have a preference from the M&A side of things for Azure versus AWS? Or? So if it's purely from like Azure consumption resources versus AWS, AWS's organization model is much better. Uh, they truly treat an account as a standalone unit. And so whoever owns the account at the end of the day can do whatever they want with the account. With Microsoft, you're, it, it, it's a benefit, but also a problem in this scenario. Azure resources ultimately are aggregated as subscriptions, which are aggregated as management groups, which are aggregated up to an Azure AD tenant. And merging two tenants, migrating subscriptions between tenants, migrating resources between tenants, there's a lot of pitfalls in that. So AWS is certainly simpler. Um, Microsoft has answers. It's just a little bit more complicated. But I will say if you are in a purely modern deployment lifecycle and everything's deployed through pipelines, then you just redeploy your environment. <laughs> but ClickOps is still a real thing. We still live, live with it. So that's usually not the case. <laughs> I always like the, well, if you're in your best case scenario and then no one's ever in the best case scenario. Exactly. <laughs> we can build it that way, but three <laughs> years later, eh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, you... That's uh, apparently your second common parameter. You get four common parameters. We're changing things up. Hopefully, uh, this doesn't throw you too much for a loop. All right. Next one. With everything you know now, what's one tip you would give your younger self when you were first starting in IT? Try more things. I, I tried a lot, and I think I was very fortunate that I found people who were willing to help. But I, I'd pair those together. Like reach out to a random person on LinkedIn, reach out to a random person who just, and I, I should caveat, people who are known in the community as having some knowledge that you're looking to understand better, not just random people you don't know. <laughs> but uh, it, it, whether it be university professor, whether it be a leader at an organization, um, a lot more people out there are willing to help than you probably would realize. And so I think that that took me a while to figure out myself is I can just ask somebody and worst they can say is no. <laughs> that's uh, the worst they can say is no is something I actually say quite a bit. I think that's incredibly valuable uh, outlook on things because in the grand scheme of things, I mean, unless it's like, hey, can you save my life? If the answer to that is no, is is horrible. But in the grand scheme of thing, answer is no is not not a life change, and you just you, you can move on. So that's I like that approach a lot. Yeah, and even in a smaller 
smaller community like PowerShell, uh, there, there's lots of people willing to help. Like I, I'd say, especially PowerShell, most people are open to supporting you. A million percent. We're so lucky to have the business. By far the best. Yeah. I mean, I can speak to it. Yeah, definitely. I've had a lot of good success reaching out to people with good intentions. And my career has been greatly changed from doing that. So definitely reach out. And you know what? Maybe we'll give a little plug for a special email address, powershellpdq.com, that you can hit up us at, you know, and we'll answer your questions. We'll be there for you. But Jordan, I think you've got another home run of a question. This one is by far the most difficult, and clearly he has no prepared answers. What, what are your three favorite modules? Well, great you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I touched on it, but a graph module is a painful change, but I, I'm a fan of it. I, I would say I have a criticism that I would love it if they could get their return object types and their parameter names consistent across commandlets. <laughs> but overall, we're going the right direction. <laughs> um, I think Graph has a lot of potential. It's still early, arguably too early to maybe deprecate some of the standards in play, but uh, it, it's a great direction. I would say also I use the AZ modules and the AWS modules probably the most regularly. So those are go-tos. Uh, those are also a world unto themselves. So there's so much nuance, so much annoyance, so much frustration, hours spent in those modules that even it, it's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> and then uh, the last one I'll go with isn't necessarily a module but oh my posh, that is on every one of my prompts every day. So I have to give a shout out to that because I love it, live with it, and it's everywhere. <laughs> nice. And that's a, a prompt, right? Mm -hmm. That gives you some information about where you are. And if you're using Git, some extra information about maybe the branch that you're on. Yeah. So the specific things I use with it are uh, if I'm in Windows or Windows subsystem for Linux, and then if I am in a Git directory, what branch am I on? How many commits? How many docs are staged? That type of stuff. And yeah, and then error. It'll throw an error if it, or if an error was thrown, it'll report that too. So nice. simple, super simple. But I think uh, simplifying is always a nice thing. It's Sometimes I see some of the customization people have in PowerShell and I wish that I did any of it. I just I always stick with my defaults, and I'm jealous of some of the things that people just have flowing. I, I, understanding, I can go out and get that. I'm just not one for changing the defaults, but uh, some some of them. Oh, my posh is one where I figured I thought once maybe I'll make a customization, but I, I didn't. Yeah, the the other one I'll throw out there too, because to your point, it's nice to have a default prompt occasionally. Is I'll also check if it's an elevated prompt. So if I go to like run as admin, I always just default that to the default prompt so I don't have to troubleshoot uh, multiple issues, multiple changes at once. Uh, well, Mike, I don't know if you are aware, but we're actually in the presence of a true legend, uh, a living, living legend of our time. Uh, the common question that people hear sometimes of uh, if you could have dinner with anyone in history, uh, living or dead, 
the correct answer is actually Andrew Plaw. Uh, which people don't know. Everyone wants to put their own spin on it. doesn't matter. Andrew, and you want to talk to him about how do I properly shill something. But we might not have a mill with this one, but we're still going to learn how to shill by watching the master. Take it away, Andrew. Take it away, I shall, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> Quite the introduction. I wasn't expecting that, but I should have. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you're still listening right now, oh my gosh, we just had a great conversation with Mike. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Give us a like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Ding the bell if you want to be notified. Leave a comment. Tell us what your favorite module is. Do you like the Graph API? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Let us know. You can email us, powershell at pdq.com. You can even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can listen anywhere. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerShellPod. I'm at Andrew Plotech. He's DevOps Jordan. Mike, thanks for joining us. If people want to keep up with you and see what's happening in your neck of the woods, where, where can they find you online? The easiest is LinkedIn, Mike Sewell. S-O-U-L-E. That's probably where I'm most active. And then I am on Twitter as my Snozberries, but that one, a little less active. So Awesome. And I'll have a link to your LinkedIn. So connect with them. Maybe people will send you a random message asking for help or some questions. So who knows? Happy right. to. And my middle name is Michael. So we're like cousins. You're basically the same person then. It's a phenomenal name. It is. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. The only device of its kind in the world. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com.